Let's pray. Father, you are a great God. You are a just, <clears throat> you are a kind and a compassionate God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Your, your word is unchanging. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is the only rule for faith and practice. Father, as I open your word and seek to expound your scripture, pray that you would have mercy on me. Pray that I would do justice to what you have written, that I would not fail. Pray for these hearers. Pray that you would wash them and sanctify them by your word. As you yourself said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You want to open your Bibles to the book of James. Continuing our series in the book of James, we'll be continuing in James chapter 1. Following James's train of thought as he speaks of trial of various kinds. It's very easy for human beings to change what we believe about God based on our circumstances. That one minute we'll be thinking that because everything is really good, that that means that God loves us and God is blessing us. And then things start to get really bad and we start to question, does God really love me? Does, is God really blessing me? And sometimes it gets so bad that we even begin to question our salvation, right? Like if I was truly saved, would God be doing this to me? Would God be allowing me to go through this? We tend to take our circumstances as our, I guess you could say our thermostat to figuring out where God is at in our lives. I was trying to think of an illustration that I could use for this, and I think that there's no better illustration than uh, the illustration of the Apostle Peter. Um, partway through Jesus' ministry, he was standing uh, <clears throat> at a place in uh, Caesarea Philippi called the Gates of Hell. That's what they were called. And uh, it was a place of, of rampant uh, idolatry, pagan worship, um, sexual idolatry. It, it was a really, really nasty place. And it was something that was especially abhorrent to the Jews. They, there was a place where they would sacrifice all sorts of animals. They would, I, I'm not 100% sure, I think they sacrificed people there sometimes. It was, it was a horrible, horrible place. And as they were standing there, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And the apostle Peter, who is kind of the, the leader of the group, speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of God. And of course, he was right. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because 
flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My father has revealed this to you. Like, this is the truth. You're right. I am the Christ. I am the only son of God. Later on uh, in Jesus's ministry, uh, after things had stopped going well for Jesus and his ministry, Jesus was no longer healing people. Uh, Jesus no longer had crowds of thousands and thousands of people. Uh, the apostles were not seen as amazing people because they were close to Jesus. They, uh, Jesus had been arrested and had been beaten and was being crucified uh, as a traitor. He was convicted by both the, the religious establishment of the Jews and the government of the Romans. And at that point, Peter denied Christ. And, and Peter ran away. And, and when Jesus rose from the dead, Peter wasn't, he didn't believe it right off the bat. But what had changed? Had Jesus stopped being the Christ, the son of the living God? Because he was being dragged away and crucified and killed? No. He never once stopped being the Christ, the son of God. He was always the Christ, the only son of God. What had, what had changed was Peter's circumstances. And now Peter was making a judgment about Jesus based on his circumstances. And this is something that happens to, to us all the time. It happens to the most faithful people among us, where we can tend to look at our circumstances and decide, you know, God loves me a little bit less right now because I'm, I'm not feeling very blessed. Or, and and in, in very terrible times, it causes us to question even our salvation. And James is writing his letter to talk against, to speak against this, this tendency in us. So in verses 2 through 8 of James, he talks about counting, rather than looking at your trials and, and making a judgment about God's character because of your trials, look at your trials and don't question God's blessing because God is able to use your trials as a blessing. Right? And so whatever your circumstances are, it doesn't change the character of God. You should count your trials as joy, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And this is something that God is giving. And, and uh, as we'll see today, um, <clears throat> God has, pro has made promises to those who love him that they will receive the crown of life. Now, this is not based on circumstances. This is not based on whether you're in trials or not in trials. This is not, uh, as we'll focus in a little bit on today, is it's not because you are poor or rich or not poor or not rich or whatever you want to say. These are unchanging principles because God is an unchanging God. When God wrote the book of James, he knew everything that you would be going through today. And he knew everything that his disciples would be going through in that exact day. He, he knows everything. God is not bound to time. God's truth does not change over time. You know, a lot of people like to think that the Bible, you know, has become increasingly irrelevant over the course of time because our society has become much more uh, civilized and advanced. Yeah, I laugh at that too. Um, but the problem that, that they face is that God is an eternal God and God can see the future. And so if God could see the future and if God knew where our society would be today, don't you think that he would have written in his book to affirm what our society was today? I don't know if I'm saying that in a way that makes sense. 
for an example is that our, our culture uh, embraces homosexuality as right and good. And they say that the Bible is outdated because now we are more civilized and we understand that love is love and, and that people should be allowed to sleep with and marry whoever they want. If, if God was sitting back in the first century when he wrote the Bible through men and he could see the future and he could see where we would be, do you not think that he would say, if, if we were right, do you not think that he would say in his word, allow people, love is love. Don't you think he would have said that? But he didn't. And so just because our culture has embraced something doesn't mean that it's true. Because God does not change. And God's word does not change. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the society says, no matter what the culture says, no matter what your state of life is, whether you are healthy or sick, rich or poor, God's word does not change. And it will not change because God is the author and God does not change. There are people who want to throw out the Old Testament. Because it sounds mean. And yeah, it does sound mean, but God wrote it and God doesn't change. So these things are important and we hold on to them. And we pay attention to what they say. Because this is God's word and it is without error. That is what we believe. It is without error. So no matter what your circumstance in life, God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so James talks about, kind of in a, in a broad sense, uh, various trials. He's like, okay, so your tendency is that when you face trials, you begin to question the goodness of God. Don't do that. Okay, I'm going to tell you to do the exact opposite. Don't question the goodness of God. Count it all joy and all the more embrace the goodness of God because God is so powerful that he can use whatever you're going through for your benefit to produce steadfastness that, and it will have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. And if you don't understand what your trials are about, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give you the wisdom to understand. Now today he's going to talk about, well, here, let's just read it. Let's read it. And then we'll, we'll get into it. So James one verses nine through 12, please stand in reverence for God's word. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Amen. Please be seated. So he goes, he, he talks broadly about various trials, and now he's going to make it even more broad. He's going to encompass all people. So there's the lowly brother or the poor. We're, we'll use the same kind of language here for lowly and for poor because he contrasts lowly with rich. And so this can mean somewhat of the same thing. So let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Now, every single person on earth falls into one of those two categories. Every single one. Uh, and, and I mean, richness is, is relative. 
you know, monetary wealth is relative. If I were to be in the slums of India right now, I would be like a millionaire, right? If I had the same income of what I make here, if I was living there with my income, I would be rolling in cash because things are not as expensive there. It's, and you know, on and on. Uh, when I live here, I, I'm not the, the wealthiest 1%, but I still do okay. You know, and, and, and we all still do okay, right? Uh, I think that if you make, I looked at the statistics this week, and I, I think it said that if you make more than $43,000 a year, you're in the top 1% richest people in the world. Um, if you, so, so by that same kind of logic, if you make, you know, $30,000 a year, if you make $25,000 a year, you are still in the top like 5% richest people in the world. So everybody sitting in this room really by that metric is rich. Just by living in Canada, <laughs> you are rich. You can sit on the street and you can ask people for money and they'll actually just give it to you. Uh, that's not always the case. Not everybody has something to give where anywhere else you go. We are all very, very wealthy. But let's assume for a moment that uh, we're talking about Canada and we're talking about being rich or poor in Canada. And so I think that the wealthiest 1% in Canada make like $100,000 a year or something like that. Um, so that, that would be the top 1%. So probably a lot of us would fit into the, into the poor category if you use that metric. Um, so first we'll talk about the poor and, and, and you may consider yourself poor um, you may consider yourself rich. Like I said, this, this passage will apply to you no matter where you are in your station of life. Uh, the rich are, are addressed more than the poor in this passage, but uh, everything that is said to the rich applies to the poor. Um, there are two kinds of poor people. This is my thesis, I suppose I can say. Uh, there are two kinds of people. There are the righteous poor and there are the unrighteous poor. Some people are poor in an unrighteous way. Uh, an unrighteous poor person is the kind of person who is not content in their circumstances. Uh, they are greedy and they want to be rich, but they're not willing to work in order to become rich, in order to have more. Uh, these are lazy people who would prefer a check from the government over a real job. Uh, these are lazy people who would prefer a get-rich-quick scheme over honest labor. Now, I'm not, I'm not speaking of people who are unable to work. I'm not talking about people who can't work. I'm talking about people who choose not to work, right? A, a righteous poor person would be the kind of poor person who's poor because they just have no other choice but to be poor. There's nothing they can do. They're just poor. Uh, an unrighteous poor person is the kind of poor person who could make a better life for themselves but don't. That is an unrighteous form of poverty. These are the kinds of people who would take handouts uh, instead of actually making something for themselves. The Bible speaks of this sort of person. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Uh, this is a lazy person who won't work. Laziness is sin. Did you know that? I remember I spent a lot of time in college um, with people who would say things like, um, no, I didn't get that project done. I'm too lazy. 
And they would say it as if, like, laziness is fine. It's not a big deal. It's whatever. I was lazy. It's like, well, actually, laziness is not something that you're supposed to celebrate. Laziness is not something that you're supposed to boast in. You should be ashamed that you're lazy, and you should work harder. That's, that's something that I think we all need to remember, and I've been guilty of this myself. Um... What the Holy Spirit writing through James is commanding here is that we need to be righteous in our poverty. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So this is the idea that we ought to be content in our blessings. So we might not have all the monetary blessings that someone else in our town or in our church or in our family may have. We, excuse me, uh, but we do have blessings. And if you're a Christian, no matter how much or little money that you have, you still have Christ. And Christ is reward enough. Christ is far better than any monetary gain that you will ever get in this lifetime. Amen? <laughs> no? <laughs> I know, like, the talk of money makes everybody uncomfortable. Uh, is, he gonna, is the pastor going to start asking us for more money? Um <clears throat> We ought to be content in in the blessings that God has granted us. Material blessing is not the be-all, end-all. God can bless you without making you rich. God can bless you without making you rich. I was talking to my wife about this, and she spent a lot of time in Africa. And and she said that the the people, some of the people that she met in Africa were the richest people she had ever met. And, I mean, they, they didn't have windows in their houses. They didn't have doors. But they were still the richest people that she had ever met. Because... If you only use the the material possessions as the uh, as your way of measuring wealth, you are sadly falling short. The righteous poor person is a, a person who is able to look past their lack to what they do have. Now, again, this is not a person who just says, "Oh, I've got all the blessings I need," and sits around and eats chips. This is the kind of person who will work hard and will provide and will, uh, they are not lazy, but they are not uh, all consumed with the idea of getting more. A righteous poor person works hard in whatever they are, a- in whatever way they are able and sacrifices if necessary. This is a person who is not lazy, but willing to work for the good of others. It's a person who recognizes that money cannot buy them salvation and they rejoice that even though they don't always have everything they want or need, that they are secure in the promises of God. True riches are found in God. I've heard people say before, God would never uh, make me go without something that I need. It's like, well, you need water, and sometimes you'll go without. God isn't going to always make it fall from the sky to parch your thirst. But the, the one thing that you do truly need, which is Christ, he is always ready to provide. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So if you're sitting here and you think of yourself as a lowly brother or sister, boast in your exaltation. Boast in what Christ has already given you. Don't be lazy, but boast in what Christ has given you. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich person, rich man, rich person, fade away in the midst of their pursuits. So James addresses the rich. There are, and I, I'm going to say it, there are two kinds of rich people. There's the 
unrighteous rich person and there is the righteous rich person. <coughs> These are the kinds of people who have, or an unrighteous rich person is the kind of person who has an all-consuming desire for more. This is the sort of person who will sacrifice uh, their faith and their family in order to get more wealth. They will happily skip church and skip their uh, relationship with God in order to earn more money. They will happily, well, maybe not happily, but they, they will probably won't give a second thought to their family in order to go out and work more and gain more wealth. This is the sort of person who considers themselves blessed because of what they have attained. You ask this person, are you blessed? They will say, well, yes, look, look at everything that I have. I am very blessed. But they forget an important thing. Proverbs 11, verse 4, which says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but unrighteousness, or sorry, but righteousness delivers from death. Let me read that again. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Having more is not going to get you into heaven sooner. It's not going to skip you to the front of the line, as it were. It's not going to make you any better or worse of a person than your brother or sister in Christ or the non-Christians around you. This is a trap that Christians fall into all the time, and, and non-Christians obviously do as well. We often assume that God's blessing is found in safety and money. One of the things that I have noticed a lot is that we often pray for safety. We pray, keep this person safe on the roads. Keep this person safe as they do this. Keep this person safe. It's the, 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 most, the thing that we value the most is safety. We value that above all other things. We want to be comfortable, secure, safe. We don't want anything unexpected to come our way. We like to just be exactly how we want everything to go exactly according to our plan. And so we often pray to God that it will happen, but we disguise it a little bit and we say, keep them safe. You know, make, make sure that what we want happens always happens. It's easy for us to be devoted to our money. We will build our lives around money. We, we will build our lives around money far more than we'll build our lives around God. I mean, we will move to a certain place in order to get a good job, and we don't even stop to think for even a half a second if there's a good church there. I know, I know this of a lot of, like, I don't know of a single Christian in my life who has moved to a certain town because there was a good church there. I can't think of even one. It's always about money. Always. They won't stay in their hometown because there's a good church. They'll move in order to get money. They won't go to a certain place in order to go to a good, to good church. They'll go there and they'll start making money and then they'll think to themselves, I guess I better find a church. And then they go around and they find out there's no good churches there. It's like, well, maybe you should have thought that before you went. But they don't even give that a second thought. They don't, they don't stop to think, is this God's will for my life? What would be God's will for your life? That you would have a body of believers who could encourage you and walk alongside you in your life. That's what God would want for you, far more than material blessings. Far more. That is way more valuable. A church is way, way more valuable for your life than money. But we don't even consider that as a possibility it doesn't even enter into our heads we're just like let's go we're gonna make money 
This is something that James will talk about even later in the letter. People who say, come, let's go to this place and, and do this or that and make a profit and stay there for a year and then come back. And instead they should say, if the Lord wills, we will live. <laughs> if the Lord wills, we will live. <laughs> if the Lord lives, we will be alive next year. And then we can, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we don't think that way. We build our lives around what we think will get us gain. We will put off having children and getting married so that we can make sure that we are financially stable. And I, again, I've never heard a single Christian in my life say, we're waiting to have kids because we think God wants us to wait. I, I, I can't think of a single person who has said that. Every single person that I know who is the same age as me and waiting to have kids has said, we're waiting until we're financially stable. I highly doubt they've really asked God if, they, if he wants them to have children. It's the same thing with marriage. I was told by countless people, don't get married yet. Wait until you're financially stable. And I mean, if you ask them, every single person would have a different idea of what it means to be financially stable. Um, but it's all about money. That's the point. We worship our money almost as much as we worship God. Probably most of the time more than we worship God. We build our churches around money. We will do and not do things based entirely on our financial situations. We will give barely any thought as to whether God wants us to do it. Uh, this is, I mean, this is churches all across North America and probably the world. We, we don't even consider, like, should we do that? Does God want us to do this? So we'll just say, we don't have enough money. So I guess we're not doing it. Or we'll say, we don't have enough money. Therefore, God doesn't want us to do it. Because really, it's about the money. But we want to sound spiritual, and so we'll say, well, we don't have enough money, so God doesn't want us to do it. It's because we, we're just absolutely worshiping the money. Where the money goes, the church goes. Where the money goes, we go. Always following the money. James teaches us that we, the rich... So I'm, I'm lumping us all into this one. That we should boast in our humiliation. We should understand that our richness does not make us more or less acceptable to God. And it doesn't mean, just because we're rich doesn't mean that we're under God's blessing. There were rich people in scripture who were not under God's blessing. God makes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. That's in Ecclesiastes. I think that the top 10 richest people in the world are unbelievers. Often richness is more trouble than it's worth. Uh, oftentimes our richness is a vice that holds us back from faithfulness, which I think I've argued for plenty just now. We're often so consumed with having enough that we completely ignore the will of God. And we need to remember that richness is like the morning dew. It disappears with a little bit of heat. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. The sun rises with its scorching heat, withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich fade away in the midst of their pursuits. Your money has no eternal significance. If money was a sign of godliness, Jesus would have been the richest man in the history of the world. But Jesus was a first century Jewish peasant. He was homeless. If we're talking about 
richness as a sign of godliness, Jesus would have been amazing. And, and part of what I read uh, earlier this morning from Matthew 19 illustrates this point, that oftentimes we consider <coughs> richness as a mark of godliness, as a sign of God's blessing. Because when Jesus says uh, to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven, the Disciples, when they heard this, were greatly astonished. They're absolutely gobsmacked. They, they can't believe that Jesus would say something like that because in their minds, the rich people were the righteous ones. In, in their minds, you would look at the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders of the Jewish people. They were the richest people, and they were also considered the most holy people. And so if, if those people are not being blessed by God because they're rich, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, it's impossible. Salvation is impossible. If, if not even a rich person can buy their way into the kingdom of heaven, then it's impossible to be saved. But with God, all things are possible. Whether rich or poor, all things are possible and you can be saved. This is the crux of the issue. Riches or poverty have no impact on eternity. Your daily circumstances have no impact on eternity. Look at verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. What does this mean? I, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean first. It doesn't mean blessed is the one who has buckets and buckets of money. Uh, it doesn't mean blessed is the one who steadfastly saves money and plans ahead. It means blessed is the one who is faithful in every circumstance, whether in good times or in bad. Whether things are going well or whether they're facing trials. Whether you're wealthy or poor, whether you're happy or in sorrow, Blessed is the person who remains steadfast in all of these circumstances because that's the sort of person who will receive the crown of life. The person who receives the crown of life is someone who values Jesus above all other things. Values Jesus far, far, far above their wealth. Willing to give up everything. Willing to give away all of their money in order to follow Jesus, if that's what he commands of them. Jesus himself said, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus commands your total devotion. We are to devote ourselves in everything to Christ. Meaning we are willing to give up anything for Christ. We're willing to take a small, low-paying job if it means serving Christ. We're willing to give up on some relationships if it means following Christ. This is talked about elsewhere in Scripture where it says that if you're a believer and you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever wants to go, you should let them because your primary devotion is to be Christ. Jesus talks about Families turning each other over. About children betraying their parents. And that the parents need to be 
steadfastly serving Jesus no matter what. No matter what. Salvation is trusting in Jesus above all other things and willing to give up all things, including your life, for him. It's trusting that Jesus paid your debt on the cross and committing your life to him. Jesus had a lot to say about this. In Matthew 10, verses 37 through 39, Jesus said, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a radical message. Christians are to steadfastly follow Jesus above all other things. We are supposed to love Jesus more than our families. We're supposed to love Jesus more than our children, our money. We're supposed to love Jesus more than we love our own lives. Losing everything for the sake of Christ is the way to gain true life. Jim Elliott was a missionary who died uh, basically within the first week of being a missionary. Uh, he, was, he and his uh, friends were killed by tribesmen with spears. Um, his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, went on to be a missionary all on her own. And Jim Elliott once said, uh, He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's talking about your life. You cannot keep your life. And you cannot lose eternal life. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. Are you doing that? That's the question for all of us. Do you value Jesus over your children, your spouse, your job, and your money? Do you value Jesus over your health and your wealth? If you don't value Jesus above all else, that probably means you're not a Christian. Is Jesus an add-on to your life just to make it better? Are you being righteous with your wealth or your poverty? Are you remaining steadfast? Choosing to love Jesus above all other things. This is a great message of, of hope for all of us. You can give it all up and you can lose everything, but if you love God, nothing can take the crown of life that has been given by God. This is your assurance as a Christian. Your salvation was not your own doing. God gave you your salvation, and God does not fail. He will not fail to save you. If you remain steadfast in all circumstances, God will give you the crown of life. And if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to believe in Jesus, to commit to Jesus, give up everything you have, including your life. In order to follow Jesus. Because everything you have, including your life, could disappear in the blink of an eye. But the salvation, the new life that is in Jesus, is an eternal inheritance for those of us who know Christ. So will you receive that eternal inheritance? Will you 
Commit yourself to him, and will you receive the forgiveness that was bought for you with his blood? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into this room, that you would teach us to number the things that we have and to consider them as nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing you. Pray for those of us who don't treasure you like we should. Pray that you would show us our error. Lord, I pray for those who maybe have never treasured Christ, that you would help them to do that this morning. I pray that you would wash us and purify us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to turn in your hymnals to 190?